Did America take feminism too far to the point that society now disrespects men? We'll interview author and columnist Kathleen Parker about her effort to save the males. And a statesman died July 4th. We'll look back on the career of Senator Jesse Helms. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. Everything's fine, guys. Just thought we'd spice things up a little bit today. A bit of a scare for the Obama campaign after taking off from Charlotte, North Carolina. The pilot of the plane carrying Barack Obama ended up making a precautionary landing in St. Louis. Uh, reportedly, they were having some trouble controlling the nose of the plane. That was Barack Obama talking to reporters about this problem. Obama also in the news saying that he will accept his party's nomination in this huge outdoor stadium instead of at the convention center as originally planned. Here's a report from Jerry Bodlander in Washington. The decision by Barack Obama to give his acceptance speech at Invesco Field at Mile High instead of the Pepsi Center will mean added costs. The convention's already been plagued by fundraising problems and cost overruns, but Democratic National Committee Chairman Howard Dean says it'll all work out. We don't uh, know how, how much extra it costs. The host committee will raise the money, but they'll have a lot of help. Democrats say the stadium speech opens up the political process. It also raises the possibility some Republicans could attend the acceptance speech of the Democratic standard bearer. Jerry Bodlander, Washington. By the way, a lot of people in the Democrat Party say he's giving that party whiplash. It's really causing some anguish among liberals with his changes in positions. As we mentioned last week, uh, he has sort of stood back on Iraq and said he would talk to the commanders on the ground about his position on pulling troops out. And then he reversed a little bit going back again because uh, some of his supporters were getting upset. So we're not exactly sure where Barack Obama is on pulling troops. Certainly, though, we expect the candidates to move to the middle in the general election. And that really seems to be what's happening. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's listen to this clip from an interview. Uh, It's on the O'Reilly Factor. This is Kathleen Parker. She's a uh, syndicated columnist talking about feminist changes in education that have impacted boys about 1989 or so, we declared that girls were in crisis, and so we sort of restructured education and schools and curriculums to make, to be more girl-friendly. And in the process, we sort of sidelined boys. Boy behavior is not acceptable, as you've, I'm sure you know all about that. 
we tend to, uh, you know, we've made the curriculum more friendly for girls, which is great. Girls are doing so much better than boys are now. But we've done things, for example, like eliminated books that are interesting to boys. There are no no uh, stories of no more Davy Crockett's and things not like that. Not so much. Not so much. I mean, you would think the sensitive books are in, right? You bet. Heather has two mommies. You got it. By middle school, we're talking about young adult literature that focuses on things like depression, eating disorders, drug abuse. I mean, wow. guys are not interested in this stuff. And by high school, they've quit reading altogether. Do you resonate with this? We're going to talk with Kathleen Parker later in the program. She's written a new book called Save the Males. And Bill O'Reilly asked her about the result of this shift. You are what you read. You know, you learn things about values and about behavior from what you read. And the boys just simply have stopped when they get to college. If they go, and they're going in fewer numbers, they're graduating in fewer numbers. By the end of this decade, it's going to be the graduating rate will be 142 women to 100 men. According for college. To, yeah, for college. And, and girls, as we know, do well on reading and, and writing. Now, listen, I'm, by the way, not suggesting that we dial things back for girls we don't we're happy they're doing well that's the whole point but we want we've got to balance it and, and sure. if something's not working for the guys then we need to recognize that and that's so across if- the board you're listening to jerry johnson live i'm penna dexter in recent decades men maleness and fatherhood have all been under siege in american culture and you know when men are demasculinized which is really what's happening and this happens in various ways then we all suffer. Men suffer, women suffer, and certainly children suffer. Now, except for first responders and male soldiers, it just seems like we're acting right now in the culture like we don't respect men or masculinity. And we're going to get the facts about this from Kathleen Parker. As I said, she's a nationally syndicated columnist. She's in over 400 papers. Her book is Save the Males, Why Men Matter, Why Women should care, and uh, we hope that you will stay tuned. We're going to uh, have Kathleen Parker with us a little bit later in the program. But ladies and gentlemen, joining the second, third, and fifth presidents of the United States who also died on Independence Day on Friday, longtime North Carolina Republican Senator Jesse Helms uh, has died of the age of 86. Here's a report. Toward the end of his 30-year Senate career, Helms was hobbled by a variety of ailments, and he got around the Capitol on a motorized scooter. I consent that it be in order for me to deliver my remarks seated. But in his heyday, Jesse Helms was a conservative firebrand. He opposed most arms control treaties and battled communists and liberals alike. He blasted using government money for art he considered pornographic. How long are we going to tolerate the National Endowment for the Arts? continuing to fund this kind of garbage. But Helms softened some of his long-held views. After years of clashes with gay activists, he became an advocate of greater federal funding to fight AIDS in Africa and elsewhere. Jerry Bodlander, Capitol Hill. A lot of times we talk about the difference between a politician and a statesman. I think Jesse Helms was a statesman. If you have any thoughts on Jesse Helms and the difference between a politician and a statesman, or what about uh, an elected official who uh, stands on his principles and doesn't compromise. Is that something you'd like to see uh, in your representatives, your senators? I think Jesse Helms was such a man. He really didn't compromise very often. Often he gave a lot of publicity to his causes because he stuck with them. Uh, Jesse Helms was a journalist in his early career. In 1970, he switched from Democrat to the Republican Party, and uh, he wrote in his memoir uh, these words, I had sought election in 1972 to try to derail the freight train of liberalism. 
that was gaining speed towards its destination of government-run everything, paid for with big tax bills and record debt. This is what uh, he wrote in his memoir. It was called Here's Where I Stand, published in 2005. Helms wrote, uh, my goal when my wife Dot and I decided I would run, this was in 72, was to stick to my principles and to stand up for conservative ideals. And uh, in 1997, uh, this is uh, Jesse Helms on the floor of the Senate. And this is uh, after some very controversial art that was funded, actually, by the government, the National Endowment for the Arts. He said that funding should be cut to zero. Now, whether all this garbage is metaphorical or liberal or literal or whatever, I don't know. And I don't care. I don't want to know. What I want to know is how long we're going to tolerate the National Endowment for the Arts continuing to fund this kind of garbage. Unfortunately, we still have the National Endowment for the Arts, but if you remember the battles over some of the art that was funded by the federal government, certainly Jesse Helms was in the forefront of fighting that. He was criticized by many people for being anti-gay, intolerant of homosexuality. But see if you disagree with this, because this is uh, sort of his plea on the Senate floor in May of 1990 uh, to homosexuals. This was really common sense, according to Jesse Helms, to prevent AIDS. I don't disagree with the senators about the senator about the uh, the horror you, of of this disease. But there's one thing about it, Senator. I've never heard once in this chamber anybody say to the homosexuals, "Stop what you're doing." It's some common sense uh, from a common sense senator. Uh, homosexuals could uh, avoid getting AIDS. Uh, if they just stopped having homosexual sex. And uh, do you think that was over the top from a politician? That's what Jesse Helms said. And again, we, we love your reactions on the senator. Just kind of uh, going through his life, he did die on the 4th of July. He was North Carolina senator, five terms. Uh, he switched from Democrat to Republican early in his career. He was also an avid anti-communist. And uh, when the Republicans got control of the Senate and the House in 1994, he became chairman of the very powerful Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And uh, he was well known for his strong foreign policy views. Here is Jesse Helm on the Senate floor in 1993. Uh, he's speaking about Haitian leader Jean-Bertrand Aristide, who um, Jesse Helms had these words about him. This man is a psychopath. And I don't think we have any business whatsoever, Mr. President, risking one life of one soldier or one sailor or any other American to put him back in office. Let the Haitians decide that. Aristide is not a symbol of democracy. All right, something else about Jesse Helms uh, that's very important, I think is that he really helped Ronald Reagan uh, get elected. He helped him make, almost make it to the presidency in 1976 uh, against Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford got the nomination, but then some people came back and said, well, perhaps we uh, nominated the wrong candidate. But Jesse Helms, again, uh, got together his huge direct mail list 
building a grassroots army of volunteers and raising money to air these speeches by Reagan across North Carolina. And uh, they got their issues, and eventually Ronald Reagan got elected. And, of course, Jesse Helms was extremely helpful to him, not only in getting elected, but in his agenda. He actually provided sort of the right flank of Ronald Reagan, allowing Reagan to make some compromises as needed. Helms sort of staying to the right. This is political strategy, but this man knew it well and uh, did a great job. Uh, in doing so. And uh, so this, let's go back to some of this audio because it's great audio. Uh, Jesse Helms uh, speaking out, out of his archives. Again, he served 30 years in Congress, and here's what he said about his record. Now, others may try to dodge the issue and squirm and flip flop, but not this senator. And here's how he felt about his constituents. Just a fellow from North Carolina and uh, trying to abide by what I perceive to be my duty and done the best he can. He did the best he can. And as I said earlier, rather than seek compromise, Jesse Helms would stake out, and this is from John Fun in the Wall Street Journal today, he would stake out a firm position that sometimes would attract publicity. And then he would also block appointments. He was very good at blocking some of the more liberal appointments. He was also known for fighting some of the nonsense coming out of the United Nations as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He was a real fighter in the United States Senate. And here is what uh, Bill Kobe, who is the chairman of the Jesse Helms Center, again sort of reiterating this difference between politicians and statesmen. This is what he said about former North Carolina Senator Jesse Helms. It's uh, really uh, interesting that that he would die on July 4th because he was without a doubt uh, the greatest patriot I've known personally. Certainly not a perfect man, but a lot of people had a lot of good things to say about him. Paul Weirich from the Free Congress Foundation said, Once in a lifetime, there comes a legislator so great that he transcends ideologies, political parties, and personalities. Such a man was Jesse A. Helms. His greatness is beyond words. His opponents called him mean. He was one of the kindest senators ever to grace the United States Capitol. Later, Wyrick says, truth be told, Helms accomplished more than most legislators. Again, uh, speaking about the Reagan uh, landslide and uh, his role in the Reagan election and the Reagan administration. And uh, Wyrick also says, when Presidents Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and George W. Bush were correct on issues, they had no better ally than Helms. He left no stone unturned to help his friends, but when they were wrong, they had no fiercer opponent. Jesse Helms died on the 4th of July, a great statesman in this United States of America. Well, next up, we're going to talk about boys and men and what the culture has done to masculinity. Kathleen Parker has written a new book called Save the Males, Why Men Matter, Why Women Should Care. We'll talk with her next on Jerry Johnson Live. Have you thought about getting a master's degree but think your schedule is too busy? Now you can increase your education and biblical knowledge in just one day a week. The new one-day Master of Divinity program at Crystal College allows you to get a master's by attending class on Mondays. Get equipped for effective ministry or get one step closer to your doctorate. Pick from a great list of concentrations like counseling, evangelism, 
pastoral ministry, philosophy, Jewish studies, and more. At Criswell College, you'll learn from some of the best professors and get valuable experience in and out of the classroom. With a Master of Divinity degree, you'll open up a whole new level of ministry and career opportunities. It's as easy as one day a week. If I can do this with my crazy schedule, I know you can too. MDiv Monday at Criswell College. Call us at 800-899-0012 or check us out at chriswell.edu. Invest in God's kingdom and in yourself through the Chriswell College. See us on the web at chriswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. These are tough times, my friends. That's John McCain. Uh, He's at a Denver town hall meeting, and he was asked about the economy, and he says these are tough times. They're also tough times for men, and uh, we're going to talk about that with Kathleen Parker in just a moment. I want to go back to Jesse Helms, though, because one of our listeners and a frequent emailer to uh, Jerry Johnson Live, as a matter of fact, you can email us to talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com, but I love your calls uh, today, and as we talk about males and how the culture has denigrated men, uh, we'd love to hear from you at 800-881-9270. But here's what Chris of Lakewood says about Jesse Helms. He says, I was about to leave uh, in the car when I heard you discussing Senator Helms. Uh, Jesse Helms was a great man who stood for what was right when it was very unpopular to be a conservative. He led the way for Ronald Reagan to be elected president. He had the guts to tell it like it is, and that is very true of Senator Jesse Helms. Well, here's John McCain. Uh, He's talking about Barack Obama and uh, some of his flip-flops on various positions. He says, Barack Obama opposes free trade, and that's a threat to the economy, and it costs jobs. Protectionism not only puts a hidden tax on almost everything you buy, but it undermines American competitiveness and cost jobs. John McCain also saying that increasing domestic oil exploration and production, of course, that's something he's really come out for. He's even got some campaign ads on it today. Uh, This would help uh, offset our dependence on foreign oil. Of course, Barack Obama is staunchly against this. If we don't act now to break our strategic dependence on foreign oil, we're putting our national security, our economy, and our environment at great risk. Columnist uh, Charles Krauthammer says that uh, Barack Obama, he's, he's pointing out to Americans in his column on townhall.com that uh, Barack Obama is now wearing that flag pin again. And during the primary campaign, of course, he refused to wear the pin. But, uh, and he said that he'd worn it after 9-11, but he stopped wearing it uh, because he said it was a substitute for true patriotism. But he's back to wearing it again. Why do you think he's back to wearing it? We'd love to just chat a little bit. Kathleen Parker seems to not be there right now, so we're going to try to get her on. But let's have a little discussion about these shifts in position on the part of of Barack Obama. The number is 800-881-9270. Why do you think he's back to wearing the pin? I mean, do you think this is just sort of a way of moving to the center to now try and get some votes away from John McCain? We'd love to hear from you on this. Now, he really disdained the flag pin. He disparaged the flag pin in saying it was a substitute for true patriotism. Now he wears it. Uh, That's more than just moving to the middle. Uh, I'd say that that is really changing your position on something. It's it's just... uh, I think it goes a bit far. Um, He is running in a general election against McCain. Uh, He needs now the working class votes that he couldn't win against Hillary Clinton. 
So he's got this flag pin back. Now, this is what Charles Krauthammer says on townhall.com. He says, in last week's column, I thought I had thoroughly chronicled Obama's brazen rehearsals of position and abandonment of principles on public financing of campaigns. Remember, we talked about that, that uh, he said he was against, uh, he was for public financing. He would only take public financing. He would not uh, close off to uh, to that. And uh, now he is, he's actually turned his back on public financing. He's going to raise the money himself. And uh, he says that he is not going to be party to special interests. But there are many questions out there if he's opening up his campaign to public funding, uh, uh, to uh, to private funding, whether or not now he will be at the mercy of certain large donors. He's also changed uh, his position on NAFTA. He was against it. Now he's somewhat for it. He's changed his position on uh, the immunity for the telecom companies after 9-11. They helped the government uh, in getting post-9-11 wiretapping information, and uh, they needed to get immunity. There was a big battle in Congress. He changed his position on that. He changed his position on having talks without preconditions with Iran's leader, Ahmadinejad. Again, moving to the center in the general election campaign. Uh, But that wasn't it. There is more. But we do have some folks calling in on Obama. So let's let's go to line two and speak with David and Alvarado. Go ahead, David. Yeah, hi. I've been watching Obama and Hillary this whole campaign. I mean, really, you can't avoid it. But uh, it seems like they're trying to do an ultimate sales job on America. Uh, he switches positions more than a baby gets his diaper changed, to tell you the truth. And uh, I don't. I think he's out for one thing, and if he gets in, into the office of president, he's going to destroy this country. You may, be, uh, you may be correct. Keep going. I just don't trust him at all. I heard him the other day claiming he was a Christian and that uh, he was all for Jesus Christ and this, that, and the other. And I've heard he's a devout Muslim. You never know what to believe about the man. Well, here's another soundbite from Barack Obama. Uh, he was speaking to an AME church convention in St. Louis. And uh, again, it's just a, a the AME is the African Methodist Episcopal church. And uh, it's another uh, example of him trying to appeal to the Christian community. He's been doing that. And a lot of people think he's been doing actually a very good job of that. Do we have that soundbite, Larry? Go ahead. Keep me in your prayers, AME. Keep my family in your prayers, AME. Go out and organize with me, AME. Go out and march with me, AME. If I've got you standing with me, then I won't fear anybody. Let's go to uh, line one. Jack is in Fort Worth talking about uh, Barack Obama's changes in position. Some people are calling it flip-flops. Go ahead, Jack. Well, uh, you know, flip-flops, forked tongue, double-minded politician. You know, you can, and there's nothing to discuss. It's wrong. It's just out and out wrong. And if if we are going to continue to live in a society that blames other people for faults rather than looking at and making our own decision about what the Lord calls right and wrong, and the book is very clear on a forked tongue person or even a double-minded person. And that's not the kind of leadership we need in Washington. Jack, do you this- think that this is a—because, uh, you know, of course, every candidate moves. They go from the extreme to the middle when they reach the general election. So why is well, this uh, not just I, that? Well, I don't, I don't agree with your uh, coverage of every 
candidate. I don't think you have the right to say every candidate does that. I say a lot of candidates do. Okay, I agree with you. And when they're caught in the act, they need to be nailed to the wall, and they need to say, hey, and you can't, you know, this thing about Obama had plenty of times to bring and talk about Jesus way long before him and Hillary decided who was going to be running for the Democratic Party. He had thousands of opportunities, and now that it's all on the line, he's willing to do anything that he can to get elected, and that does not exclude lying. Wow. Okay, pretty strong. Thanks, Jack. We appreciate uh, your call. Let's go back to John McCain talking about his rival, Barack Obama. He says Obama seems to be opposed to most ideas about reversing the nation's economic problems. For a guy whose official seal carried the motto, yes, we can, Senator Obama's agenda sure has a whole lot of no, we can't. (laughs) Uh, Things like Drilling uh, offshore, which uh, um, John McCain has proposed as one of the solutions to our economic problems. Uh, There are some tax cuts that John uh, McCain has proposed, and also he wants to keep President Bush's uh, tax cuts permanent. And uh, Barack Obama's, I guess, no, we can't on that. And, of course, the big story is uh, his upcoming Iraq trip. He's saying now that he's going to sort of use that trip to allow him to, again, change his position possibly on bringing our troops back as quickly as he uh, had said before, which was was a fixed 16-month timetable for getting all troops out of Iraq. I mean, he may now say that we need to leave some, which would be it would make a lot of uh, conservatives happy. And I guess we should applaud that. But again, it's another shift. And uh, we kind of got to wonder how many more there will be. Let's go now to Sharon in Dallas. I'm sorry. Let's go now to uh, Gala in Ennis. Gala, go ahead. Hey, Penna. I agree with that. Like the guy that just called. You know what? You can't trust someone like Obama. He's he's adamant about this, and then he changes his mind. He's over here. He's over there. I think he flips up flip flops worse than John Kerry ever did. And it's scary to think that a man like that that can't make up his own mind to stand firm on something. If he's not going to wear the pen, then don't wear the pen, stand firm on it. Don't flip-flop just to get votes. Don't don't just appease the, the multitude just to get votes. If you're going to stand for something, stand for it. Fight against it. You know, you know, fight for it. And then let people make their own decisions. But don't just change your mind just to appease society. That's the problem with these politicians. You know, we're in, we're in a hurting world right now. This world is hurting, first of all, because God's been taken out of everything, and no one will stand up to put God back into everything. Second of all, we're hurting because we have resources in this country that we could we could stem from. Texas could be its own country itself at all hmm. those resources. Well, I'm not advocating here. that. Gayla, thanks so much for your call. I think the question is, uh, is this charisma, is this razzle-dazzle candidate, uh, the young, sleek, cool, hip, elegant challenger, which is what uh, Charles Krauthammer calls him, uh, going to beat the old guy just on personality? And, uh, you know, are we going to find out what Barack Obama really believes during this campaign? Sharon, uh, one more caller, very quickly before the end of the segment, what's your comment? Well, yes, uh, Hannah, I would like to just say that, you know, he's styled himself as the candidate for change, and that's exactly what he does. He changes from day to day and from moment to moment, depending on what he thinks will influence the most voters. And my greatest concern, and I agree with the two callers previous, my greatest concern is that, uh, you know, if he should happen to get elected, 
I would, you know, this this uh, characteristic that seems to be the most predominant characteristic of Barack Obama, I would hate to think, you know, what um, we could count on him for in serious situations. And you brought up something about uh, the difference between a statesman and a politician. And my concern is that uh, a statesman stands for what is right, for what he believes mm-hmm. is right. That's correct. Thank you so much for that analysis, Sharon. Next up, Kathleen Parker will be with us. Her book is Save the Males, Why Women Matter, Why Men Matter, Why Women Should Care. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Jerry Johnson Live. I'm so glad you're listening. Uh, Some of you know Dr. Johnson is in the United Kingdom at Oxford with Criswell students, and uh, periodically he joins us. But today uh, joining me is uh, someone who's written a book that's uh, just thought-provoking, and I hope that you will enjoy talking with her and uh, perhaps even get a hold of this book, because America really has overdone feminism and taken it in a direction that's sort of resulted in this anti-male atmosphere in the country. And now we've had decades of male bashing, so we're going to talk with our next guest about what this has accomplished. Our guest is Kathleen Parker. She is a nationally syndicated columnist. Uh, She's got a twice-weekly column in more than 400 newspapers. She's an H.L. Mencken Writing Award winner. She's frequently on radio talk shows and also regular guest on the Chris Matthews program. She has written a new book, Save the Males, Why Men Matter, Why Women Should Care. And Kathleen, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Kathleen, you are uniquely qualified to Save the Males, which is the name of the book, because you are sort of an experienced observer of men, correct? (laughs) Yes, they've been my pet project for my entire lifetime. No, but I, I am a mother of three sons, and I was raised by my father after my mother died, so, um... I've really lived most of my life with men, and um, as, as I said in the Save the Males, I'm, I'm cursed with guy vision. Well, you love men, and I do too. I um, was raised with sisters, and then my first two kids were boys, so I was sort of a shock. Yeah, wasn't that a shock? But I learned something that I really didn't know growing up, uh, that men actually do have feelings, don't they? Oh, yeah, and as you know, as a mother of boys, little guys are the most sensitive creatures, I think maybe even more so than little girls, but um, I can only speak from my own experience as, as a little girl because I didn't raise any. But they're just, uh, they're as as sweet as any any child, and um, yet we treat them differently. You know, we treat them as though they, they should be bigger and stronger and should have no feelings whatsoever. But uh, it was a great, it was quite a shock to my system when I had this little guy, and uh started seeing the world through his eyes and recognized for the first time that our culture had had turned uh, anti-male in the process of becoming more female-friendly. All right, so we've said that boys have feelings, but also I think what we've done uh, to males, and it's partly, uh, I think I blame the feminist movement, is that we've uh, sort of um, squelched masculinity and the importance of a masculine male in the culture. And last week we reported on these sort of uh, androgynous fashions for men. I don't know if you saw these. Uh, the, um, The pictures were amazing, but these were on the Paris runways, and of course, you're not going to expect the most masculine clothing styles, but this just sort of epitomizes the rise of this metrosexual male. And there are lots of other sort of signs in the society, Kathleen, that uh, kind of points us to think that manhood has fallen out of fashion, has it? 
Oh, I think so, definitely. And the, what you saw on the Paris runways has been coming for years now. I mean, each year it's a little bit more outlandish, a little bit more bizarre. But, uh, you know, essentially what we're talking about are putting boys in dresses and, and see-through, soft, gauzy fabrics that we tend to associate with femininity. And, you know, obviously fashions come and go. There was a time when men wore wigs and, you know, we have kilts and that sort of thing. But this is clearly an intentional um, effort at, at blurring gender. Um, and obviously we don't know anyone who's probably going to go out and buy their boy a skirt. But nonetheless, the message is out there. Just kind of each each little piece of the culture it becomes part of a larger mosaic uh, in which we essentially say whatever whatever we used to think is masculine is no longer, as you say, fashionable, while we sort of praise and celebrate those things that we associate with the feminine. All right. We also have to blame uh, the television and the media, because I really noticed this back in the 90s with Tim Taylor on Home Improvement on the sitcom. Uh, but at least uh, they were an intact family. You still find that also with this Everybody Loves Raymond, very popular show. Yeah. But this idea that dad is dumber than mom and that he's sort of a buffoon, it's really out there, isn't it? Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, there, if there is a father present, he is a complete idiot. You know, he's he's the, the adult who can't figure out how to do anything without the help from his more his wiser and more competent, more attractive wife. The guy's also usually kind of paunchy and pudgy and, you know, not so attractive. And then walks mom and she's she's the the saint and the martyr and the guy and the kids are even smarter than dad. So uh why why is this happening? It's it's now fair game apparently to go after men. Um and there is this kind of sense that there's a retributive justice to it somehow, that, that well, men were in charge for all those centuries. Now we're in charge, and they're going to get as good as they gave. Um, and also we might note that four out of five sitcom viewers are women. Interesting. Kathleen Parker is my guest. She's a columnist. She's written this common sense book, Save the Males, Why Men Matter, Why Women Should Care. And I guess that's what I want to ask you, Kathleen, is, you know, this kind of attitude, it diminishes men and it hurts them, but it's not good for women either or children, is it? Well, how can it be? I mean, the thing is, women uh, need men and children need fathers. And uh, most of us, when we're uh, more honest, would say that. Um, but how how can we enjoy a world and how can we make f- healthy families if we don't have good men to participate so ultimately yeah saving the males is 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 aimed at not only saving the individual man and boy but to to save the institution of the family and the and the women and children who would benefit from those um more stable homes well if if we want to sort of uphold men uh edify men in a sense in the culture I mean, this is not something that's going to diminish women or give us a setback in the feminist movement. What are some simple ways we could actually build up our men? I mean, if radical feminists will say this is beneath us, but it's really in our interest. Well, radical feminist uh, feminism has, has 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 run the game a little too long. And, um, you know, it's really, this is not rocket science. I mean, it's about being... It's about being respectful and considerate. Um, men, are <laughs> I can get kind of carried away here because men are. Please frankly, do. You know, men are really not that complicated. <laughs> can I say that? Women. It's are not that hard, ladies. Women are pretty complicated. Men are real simple. This is what I learned as a mother. There is really no problem that can't be solved with a pound of ground round in the, in the refrigerator. <laughs> I mean, there's no problem in a healthy boy's life simply that can't be fixed with a hamburger. And guys. You know, it'd just be nice if you fixed a burger without acting like you've just established democracy in the Sunni Triangle. Um, mm. You know, you can be 
be fair and nice and treat um, treat men the way you want to be treated. I was talking to a fellow yesterday, and he said, you know, I don't want all, all I want is a companion who doesn't consider men the enemy. And I think what we've done is encouraged girls to be um, aggressive and, frankly, hostile to boys. And part of that is, you know, we've confused assertiveness with um, with aggression. Um, it doesn't serve anyone well. I mean, girls ultimately want boys' attention, and yet they are they have sort of come out with both barrels uh, going, and and guys simply retreat. You know, they they don't like to fight with girls. They don't like to fight with women. So they are not going to respond in a positive way. They're either going to go, you know, lock themselves in their bedroom with their computer games, or um, or just simply find somebody else to talk to. Um, so. It it it's not really complicated. We we can. I think women though do have a very important role here. I think we're the ones who have to say, look, we're tired of this nonsense. We don't want to mail bash anymore. That's not fun. It's not entertaining. It's not it's not amusing. Girls are starting to talk this way already. If you look at the teen magazines, they've begun to say, is boy bashing fair? Is that really what we want? And and they're starting to say no. So there's hope there. Well, Kathleen, uh, you've got a lot of common sense here. I know you're going to hold over the segment, and I want to give uh, some of our listeners a chance to call in and ask you questions or make comments about the male bashing culture and also what they think, even from a Christian point of view, uh, that we can do uh, to kind of change the situation. But before, And the number, again, is 800-881-9270. But before uh, the break, I want to ask you about our educational system, because 10 years ago, my son, who was 13 then, said to me, my Mom, school is for girls. And, of course, the occasion for that was one of those history projects okay. where, you know, a big chunk of the grade is just how beautiful it is, how pretty it looks. Yes. Oh, and girls are so good at that. No, I've, I've, I write about that. My own son, who is apparently the same age as yours, was, uh, I can't tell you how many dioramas he had to do. And he's, I mean, he's a junior, a senior in high school, you know, raging testosterone. He's got to cut, do little cardboard box dioramas for his teacher. Who and the girls, of course, love doing that. I mean, mm-hmm. they're wallpapering their dioramas. And the guys are going, "What is this about?" And this is going to determine their grade, which will then determine what their GPA is and where they can go to college. I mean, it's out of this. It's just insane. And elementary and that's school. One example. I mean, it's it, the whole system is, is has become uh, extremely female friendly. Uh, that is geared toward interests that are mostly. Um, girls' interests, and to the exclusion of boys who are sitting there bored to death and dropping out of school. Also, uh, as we played your clip from the O'Reilly Factor, uh, some of the reading material, and I really noticed this too, the reading material really leans feminine, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And uh, by middle school, the the young adult literature tends to be more aimed at those topics that girls can sit around and talk about endlessly. And, and you know, I mean, I'm a former girl. I remember this. We We talked about our feelings and boys and relationships and uh, you know, eating disorders and all that sort of thing. And guys are just simply not interested. But yet we've eliminated the books that they are interested in, the things that advance heroism and, and heaven forbid, chivalry. Um, those are the things that get young boys interested in reading, and those things have been eliminated because they suggest that men and women are not equal somehow. It's all very, very odd, and uh, the boys are the losers. All right, after the break, I'm going to ask you, Kathleen, uh, what are some of the positive changes, uh, other than you know cooking for them and just sort of that nurturing role, what culturally can we do uh, to sort of build men and boys up? It'll certainly help the uh, entire society. Also, you know, this whole idea of gender equality in education is really... Uh, it's not just something that's happening from the bottom up. This was sort of uh, brought down from on high a few years ago, 
And uh, we are reaping some of those results. Our system has been dumbed down in some cases. I mean, you really have to rewrite history to give women prominence over men to say that women have done most of the great things in history. Women do do great things. But we're going to get some more common sense from Kathleen Parker in the next segment. Stay with us for more of Jerry Johnson Live. The book, again, is Save the Males, Why Men Matter and Why Women Should Care. And I hope you do. I thought my life was too busy for me to get a master's degree, but Criswell College makes it easy. Did you know that you can now get a Master of Divinity degree in just one day a week? If I can fit this into my schedule, I know you can too. Come to Criswell College on Mondays and increase your education for more effective ministry. With concentrations in pastoral ministry, evangelism, Jewish studies, counseling, philosophy, and more, you can build your personal ministry with a master's degree or go on to get your doctorate. You'll study with some of the most distinguished professors in the nation and get plenty of hands-on experience outside the classroom. All it takes is one day a week. Come join me and my friends on the Criswell College campus and get your Master of Divinity degree. One day, one place. The new MDiv Monday program at Criswell College. Call us at 800-899-0012 or check us out at criswell.edu. Invest in God's kingdom and in yourself through the Criswell College. See us on the web at criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Well, I didn't read this in Kathleen Parker's book. I'm reading this out of the Word of God. It's the book of Genesis, chapter 2. And uh, it talks in verse 19 and following about how God formed all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. And he brought them to the man, and he asked the man to name these uh, creatures. And he did uh, name them. But uh, none of these were actually a suitable helper, the Bible says, for Adam. So in verse 21, it says, The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my uh, flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And uh, we're not going to get into the doctrine of this, but I think the simple message here is, uh, if there are men in your life, help them. Uh, there's nothing unfeminist, there's nothing degrading about your doing that, helping and supporting the men in your life. And uh, Larry Williams, our board op here, uh, says that he is getting very hungry. And I hope, Kay, that you're listening. He's, he wants a burger tonight. <laughs> but <laughs> Kathleen Parker is with me, and she's written this great book, Save the Males. And there's so much common sense in this book, Kathleen. Could you talk first very briefly about, though, our educational system and how this is just not something that's happened from the bottom up, but we've actually passed laws that have forced this gender equity in our educational system? Well, yes, in the late 80s, um, some researchers determined that girls were not doing well in schools and they were suffering a self-esteem crisis. Um, this is probably familiar to some of your listeners uh, because that was soon followed by the declaration of a boy crisis. And we, we seem to get, in, get into these sort of warring factions where we have to have uh, this absolute equality across the board. We do have uh, actual people who call themselves sex equity experts, which is a scary term. <laughs> and they, uh, you know, they've come up with ways of trying to equalize education 
um, even if it means sort of giving more attention to things that are less important while downplaying things that are important. Um, I was talking to the fellow who runs the Mount Vernon, um, uh, you know, Washington's home here in Washington, Mm -hmm. and he was uh, talking about how one textbook in particular had something like 250 lines dedicated to Marilyn Monroe and only 50 uh, to George Washington. Uh, kidding. Yeah, no, no, no. The ultimate patriarch, right? In an anti-patriarchal world, the the president, uh, the founding father doesn't come out too well. I mean, that's just one little tiny example. Um, but um, the problem is that, you know, we can't really change the fact that there are a lot of our history has uh, been the result of, of man's actions. Now, that's not to say there aren't wonderful and important women behind the scenes. And I will tell you, and when I was a little girl, I remember going to the library and just scouring the shelves for books about women. Right. I, I was naturally drawn to, mm-hmm. to, you know, to women, because I was going to be one. And I read all about Clara Barton and Joan of Arc, and I, I looked for these women heroes. So we're not trying to say, by no means am I trying to downplay the accomplishments or women, of women or marginalize them. I'm just simply saying we've got to um, use common sense and, and not rewrite history to satisfy a certain idea of, of you know, of, of absolute equity. Um, there are ways to recognize uh, women's contributions without without having to downgrade or, or eliminate, certainly, uh, some of the things that men have done. Kathleen, as we talk about solutions, um, I think some of the ways to just get uh, some common sense back would be to just to tell the truth, because there's well, some myths so out there. Yeah, yeah, the myths like men are all rapists. Yeah. I mean, that's out there, and there are people who believe it. I mean, maybe our listeners don't believe that, but there are other things, you know. Well, that's why I wrote this book, because people don't know. They don't realize how all these ideas and messages have infiltrated our culture and become part of the zeitgeist. It's what we live in now. We marinate in this. It has affected our laws, our policies, our institutions, and it came in, it sort of came in the back door incrementally. Most of us are busy raising our families, getting, to, you know, getting kids to school on time, all that. So it's, you know, most Americans are not doing what I do, which is, which is follow closely what these trends are, are what they are, how, what they, what they portend. Um, and what you're talking about, for example, the rape, uh, you know, we, we have this idea that all men are bad, you know, because we have this man who, who did a horrible thing, then we, we create laws to make sure that never happens again. And in the process, we essentially criminalize all males by saying that, uh, that, all men are potential rapists. All men are potential deadbeats. Our laws are already in place to treat them that way, whether they're ever going to behave that way or not. Um, you know, the, the the statistic that was so well-known, quote-unquote, for so many years was that one in four girls on college campuses are raped. Well, you know, if one in four girls is raped on campus, there's no father in America who would send her to his daughter to college. But that statistic is based on very shoddy science, uh, questions posed in such a way that it could mean a lot of different things, uh, you know, varying grades of, of willingness and under varying circumstances. In any, in any case, the same, you know, the girl that wakes up the next morning and says, oh, my gosh, what have I done, um, and I was drinking and I didn't mean to, is, is equal to the girl that is raped or the woman who is raped at knife point by a stranger. Yeah, so that's obviously yeah there are degrees. Let me yeah. ask you one more question because we're getting Sorry. close to the end, which um, I hate because it's just such a great uh, discussion. 
Uh, divorce, the divorce culture. And it's, in a sense, we've had other guests on this show, including one you mentioned in your book, Stephen Baskerville. I wasn't yeah. in agreement with everything that he said. Mm-hmm. But sometimes men do get the short end of the stick in divorce. And then the other part of this is just divorce itself and how easy it is. Uh, is it's bad for kids, it's bad for men, it's bad for women. Maybe that's one of the solutions. Yeah, well, it's bad for all of us. And, uh, I mean, I come from a family of divorce, and I have been divorced myself, so I'm not speaking, you know, I'm not issuing proclamations from on high. I understand the pain of it, and I understand also that it, it, we, I think we go into marriage now knowing how easy it is to get out of it, and so there's less of an effort, perhaps. Um, I know when my husband and I married, um, we went to counseling, and the, the minister said, the secret to marriage is four little words. There's no way out. <laughs> yeah. That's three words. We need to get uh, back to that. Yeah. Well, you know, he's right, and I think about it all the time, because if there's no way out, I'm going to hold my tongue. I'm not going to say everything that pops into my head, and I'm going to try a whole lot harder to uh, to hold it in the road for the, for the children's sake. Kathleen Parker, uh, much more we could say, uh, but we don't have the time to say it. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for this great book. I really recommend it. It's called Save the Males, Why Men Matter, Why Women Should Care. You need to get it. Kathleen, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, tomorrow uh, we've got a very interesting guest, and I think this is something that a lot of you will enjoy uh, hearing about. One of the uh, most exciting parts of... uh, really this ministry that we're going to be discussing tomorrow uh, is the fact that there are approximately 3,000 foster and adoptive children in North Texas. And our churches could have a greater role in foster care, adoption, and just making that whole system work well. So we're going to uh, speak with Bruce Kendrick with uh, Embrace a new ministry that's out there here in this area about adoption and foster care. And you won't want to miss it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.